This reminds me, and I'm going to go on a tangent right now. We just had Thanksgiving not too long ago. <laughs> and the reason why you fall asleep after Thanksgiving meal is not tryptophan. It's oh, not. Oh, really? following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up everyone and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Hello. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the management of type 1 diabetes. So we're going to talk about shots and pumps. We're going to talk about the types of insulin that you can use. We're going to talk about checking your blood sugar and continuous glucose monitors. Um, and also the importance of exercise and diet and sleep on controlling your blood sugar. And then we're going to top it off with our challenge of the week. So me and Garrett's um, struggle that we had this week and what we learned from it. So let's start it off, Garrett. What? Can you tell us about shots and pumps? Mm, so shots versus pumps. So no, not the pump like Arnold and going to the workout and <laughs> getting an arm pump, but an insulin pump. Before getting into it too much, these are both ways of giving yourself insulin. And I think it's just important to realize um, how lucky we are in you know being born today with type 1 diabetes compared to people not even 100 years ago. Because it was in 1921 in the University of Toronto that... Insulin was first discovered by some scientists named Sir Frederick Bannington, Charles Best, and John McLeod. I hope I... Good yeah, for those guys. Absolutely. Good for those guys. I, yeah. Those are my heroes right there. Absolutely. I mean, life would be so different, and I hope oh, I said yeah. their names right. And it wasn't until then January of 1922 that insulin was first used to treat diabetes. Wow. So it's, you know, end of 2019 now. Well, I guess, you know, when we release these, it'll be 2020. Yep. And not even 100 years ago was has this been around. Wow. Like, that's that's crazy to think about. Everything that you and I have learned and how to control our lives and do things and the crazy feats we've been able to do, that wasn't, that really wasn't possible. Yeah. You know, I think we'd probably be, you know, 10 feet underground by now mm -hmm. um, and without insulin you know, being even discovered. And I know you and I joke about in a post-apocalyptic world, <laughs> uh, whenever this comes up in a conversation, we're always just like, well, hands are thrown up. Do don't include me. I'm dead. Yep. If there's a zombie apocalypse. I don't have insulin. I'm sorry. Game yep. over. Might yep. as well. I, whenever I think about it, my first thought is, all right, I got to find that the closest manufacturer of insulin mm -hmm. and go and raid that thing. <laughs> if I can't find it, then I'm thinking, okay. How long can I last without eating anything? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so no crossbows, no, yeah. no fight a family of some kind or whatever. Just where's the pharmaceutical company? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so I think it's just really important to appreciate, you know, oh, how yeah. far things have come so fast. So when it comes to delivering insulin, uh, the two general forms are taking a shot or, you know, an injection of insulin or using an insulin pump. And with a shot or injection, you're going to use a syringe and draw out insulin from a vial, or you're going to use an insulin pen. And we've already talked about the mechanism and, you know, the last episode of insulin and how it facilitates lowering blood sugar. But this drug, insulin, is so powerful that it's one of the only drugs. I don't work in a hospital, and, you know, I'm not a nurse, but I know that nurses have to double check. You have to get two nurses before you deliver a dose to give insulin to somebody. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a very powerful drug. And, but yet when you're diabetic and not in a hospital and by yourself, you out, you're responsible and, and delivering it yourself. So whether you take a syringe and get the insulin out of the vial, get all the, you know, bubbles out of the syringe and things like that, um, or you use a pen, which is, um, preloaded with insulin. And it either has a cartridge that it comes with, 
with insulin and it's actually one-time use kind of or like once it's done it's done or most time pens have refillable cartridges that that's what you get your prescription from and you just kind of refill uh the pen and, and literally just looks like a ballpoint pen mm-hmm. um i have seen some professors even who are diabetic just literally keep it in their shirt pocket and no one knows but it's like huh, i have a have a cool pen in my yep. pocket yep. Um, yeah well, back when i was taking insulin that was my preferred way oh yeah um because for one i got less bubbles and it was less things to carry around because it's just all right there sure yeah how long were you on pens before you switched over to a pump um i was on um injections for about a year before oh, yeah. i was on the pump yep me too it was, it was exactly a year and I think that might be just a standard of care. I don't know. But yeah. um, I know my endocrinologist and my care team at the time wanted me to get used to taking pens and counting carbohydrates and things like that before they just put me on a pump. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a year for me, too. But, you know, the thing with whether you're taking shots or pumps, you need to count your carbohydrates mm-hmm. and count. And when we talk about nutrition, eventually, we'll talk about other things that we need to be aware of and calculate. But there's often a carb to insulin ratio. And so what that means is there's a formula that you've figured out or your endocrinologist has figured out that for, let's say, for every 10 grams of carbohydrates, I'm giving myself one unit of insulin or so on and so forth. The bigger the ratio, you know, if it's 15 to 20 grams for one unit, technically the more insulin sensitive you are and less insulin resistance because you need less insulin for more carbohydrate. And vice versa, if it's smaller, if it's like one to five, you are more insulin resistant as well as then you have correction factors. And so that means if I'm like 200 for my blood sugar and I want to be 100, there's a mathematical formula that you and your care team figures out to correct yourself back down to the ideal range that you're supposed to be in. So when when you're with pens and injections, you need to know those like the back of your hand Mm -hmm. and you need to then calculate those before you dose your insulin. So an advantage of it, like you said, it's kind of all just right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the freedom to inject yourself wherever, whenever, um, in terms of wherever, in ter- terms of like little location, whether you're at school, at work, wherever, as well as wherever in terms of your body. You know, and there's a lot more places you can inject with a pen compared to using a pump yeah. for the most part. But the disadvantage is you're probably going to have to give shots more frequently yeah. than a pump. And so that's that's a can be a pretty big disadvantage for a different whole lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, shots and injections, that's kind of what it's all about. And then we have pumps or insulin pumps. And so we kind of have regular pumps, and there's a bunch out there. And then there's now these newer pumps that are, quote-unquote, artificial pancreases or closed-loop systems. So, you know, regular pumps are just manufacturers of insulin pumps like Medtronic, T-Slim, Omnipod, um, and there's a whole bunch more out there too. And their whole point is to you're able to manage your blood sugar with less injections because you end up putting the pump site in once for a period of time. And then you use that pump to calculate your carb to insulin ratio and so on and so forth. So what that means in, in using an insulin pump, it's almost like a catheter. And so where a shot is, you know, you put the needle in, you push the button, you take it out. The pump is you put the cartridge on your skin, you push a button, the actual needle and the tube around it, the, you know, yeah, the tubing will go into your skin and you will remove that actual needle and it's going to leave the tube in your skin, ideally in adipose tissue, which will, or fat tissue, and then it's going to diffuse through your interstitial fluid and then into your bloodstream. And that is a very fast way of getting the insulin into you. And so the FDA for these pumps has approved certain locations for these pumps. But in reality, as a type 1 diabetic, you're going to need to play around with the best locations where you can put these for yourself and see where, where it works the best. Because mm-hmm. when you put this pump in or the site in, you know, it's going to last from like three to four days. Uh, you shouldn't have it more than that because there's increased chance of scar tissue developing, um, infection, allergic reactions. And you're literally putting something foreign into your body. Mm-hmm. And there's even some pumps that this tubing is plastic, but there's some pumps that use even like a metal tubing. And it's a little more stable and less flimsy. So that's even an option for some pumps mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think it's important to point out for uh, site locations, it definitely depends on the person mm-hmm. and their activities yep. that they do. Because I know for me, 
certain areas work better because my site can stay in. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Because I there are like I think Omnipod sometimes will recommend putting it on uh, the arm. Yep, the tricep. Yeah, on the tricep. For me, that does not work at all because I do a lot of grappling um, and wrestling and stuff like that. And right away, that's going to get torn out. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's not a lot of adipose tissue or fat tissue right there um, where I would need to inject it. So that just wouldn't work very well. So, you know, it always depends on the person mm-hmm. for those. Absolutely. And for me personally, when I use my pump, man, I get, I feel like more so than other diabetics, my pumps get, my the actual tubing gets kinked and I get so frustrated. Uh, I know it happens to other people too. Um, but at least for me, it feels like it happens all the time. Just even today when I changed my site, I put, put a site in and it kinked right away and my pump said insulin flow was blocked. And because I had a complication earlier in the week, I didn't mess around with it and I ripped it right out. But sometimes I have to make the decision, you know, I just put this in, this costed money, this cost insurance. I know it sometimes will eventually work. Am I going to play the waiting game? And then it's like, all right, well, is it money or my health at the mm-hmm. time? Am I going to wait and affect my everything else in my body? Or am I going to, you know, just rip it out and just no, put in a new one. That's just yeah. what I did today. Yeah, that can be a tough decision time sometimes. Mm-hmm. So anyways, with these regular pumps, the Omnipod, like you mentioned, a lot of people end up liking the Omnipod because there's no cord. Mm-hmm. Where Medtronic, which is probably the most common insulin pump in the in the U.S., it has a cord. And so it's advantage to not feel like you're tied down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and you don't get the cord caught on things. Like, mm-hmm. I like can't a door. even count how many times I've gotten caught on a door. Mm-hmm. Like, nope. Yep. Can't go that way. <laughs> yep. Or you're having a bad day. You just change your sight. Your blood sugar's high. And then you're walking past and it pulls on you like, mm, yeah. life, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that happens all the time. Um, so the Omnipod's nice for that. But these closed loop systems are newer. And they're, quote, unquote, artificial pancreases. And so I think it was maybe two to three years ago when the first one was FDA approved by Medtronic and Minimed. And that's the Minimed G670. And what this closed loop system means is this pump communicates with a what's called a CGM or constant glucose monitor, which we'll talk about more in a sec. And because they are communicating with each other, the CGM will know your blood sugar and it will tell the pump how much insulin to give at a certain period of time. Because the big advantage of a pump is with it always plugged into you, you don't have to have long acting insulin. The pump is able to give a constant drip or a basal rate of insulin, and it's going to do that throughout the whole day. And this is much more similar to how the body functions in terms of just a constant drip compared to using two different types of insulin simultaneously. And so what these closed-loop systems do is if your blood sugar is getting a little high, you might have a little more cortisol or stress hormone in your body, and your blood sugar starts to raise up, it might read that, and then it communicates to the pump the pump is going to change the basal rate and it's going to bring you back down Um, that is the whole thought and this is very exciting and new technology i know the jdrf or juvenile diabetes research foundation over the past 10-15 years spent a lot of money investing into these systems and doing research into this and now it's starting to bear fruit and it was actually really cool in preparing for this podcast today. Just saw, you know, online that the FDA approved now the second because there's this, there's literally only two. Medtronic was the first one two to three years ago. And just as of a couple of days ago, the Tandem T-Slim X2 with Control IQ. That's the <laughs> whole title, the official name, I believe. Um, also is now a closed loop system, artificial pancreas. And um, so it's a very exciting now that there's two different pumps on the market and that they can communicate with each other. It's just showing more progress with these things. And again, comparing it back to not even 100 years ago when insulin wasn't even used to treat diabetes, now we're having these pumps that can we can use that automatically communicate with each other. And it's just mm-hmm. very exciting time to be able to manage and learn about your blood sugar. Yeah. So, but the big disadvantage of the pump in general is that it's, it can be literally feel like an anchor. It can, especially if it's got a cord, it literally feels like it's pulling you down. Yeah. And there's a whole psychological component to the pump that's like, man, I'm struggling with my diabetes. This is the last thing I want to deal with. It gets caught on doors. I can't manage my blood sugar right now for whatever reason. 
and it's literally just pulling me down. And when you have those depressive episodes, it can really be a, a physical representation of what you're feeling like. Yeah. And so I know a lot of people actually go on pump holidays. And so that means they stop using the pump and they'll go to injections only and they'll use mm. both. What's that's that? Very, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never done it. Have you done a pump I, holiday? No, never. Um, but yeah, so some people use then go back to long acting and short acting insulin, which I know we'll talk about more. And it's just a kind of a way to break yourself the pattern yeah. is breaking patterns just in life is very important. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people sometimes do that. But a big reason why I enjoy the pump is because like I said, it's most similar to the body that you can kind of replicate compared to shots. And not only does it have that basal rate that it mimics, but it can be similar to how you actually give yourself insulin when you are eating a meal. And I'm going to use an extreme example right now, <laughs> and I don't recommend anybody to do this, but let's say somebody had two extra large Papa John pizzas by oh themselves. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. even say that. You're t- I know you're turning <laughs> over there in your grave, and you're not even dead yet there, Grady. <laughs> and uh, so somebody out there has two extra large pizzas, and that's probably around like 600 grams of carbohydrates. You know, we talked briefly about this insulin carb ratio. If it was a 1 to 10 ratio and you had 600 grams of carbs, that'd be 60 units. And if you were just to, whether it be a pump or like injections, give yourself 60 units, oh which gosh. I feel like that would just take forever <laughs> yeah. to begin with, um, that would go all in your blood simultaneously. And that is just going to cause you actually probably to go low, like really, really fast. And that's not how the body works. Because even that you just finished eating the 600 grams of carbohydrate from the pizza, you're not going to be digesting it right away. And the insulin will work faster than your ability to digest it. This reminds me, and I'm going to go on a tangent right now. We just had Thanksgiving not too long ago. <laughs> and the reason why you fall asleep after Thanksgiving meal is not tryptophan. It's oh, not. Oh, really? <laughs> it's not. It's you eat too many carbohydrates. You have some protein. You have some slow digesting foods. Then you have dessert and you get spike in blood sugar. And your body has this increase of load of food and then your body goes from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state so you go from an excitatory to a rest and digest state and so your body is literally prioritizing i don't need to fight a bear i don't need to run away i don't need to focus i don't need to focus all i need to do is pass out watch the bears lose <laughs> uh, you know lose uh, to the packers no that was to, today, yeah. today was uh 21 to 13 i have to throw that out there anyways and <laughs> then you pass out and your body's prioritizing digesting the food and therefore you're going to start to release and break down the car- carbohydrate and then it's going to go into your blood so back to our example of two extra large pizzas if you have 600 grams that's going to take a lot longer to digest i don't even know how you could fit that in your body but <laughs> it'll digest slower it'll go in your blood slower and so you need insulin almost at different amounts of time and if you would put it all in your blood at that moment you'd go low and then you'd be like wow i need to eat more and which is true your blood sugar is low if it goes too low that's not a good thing but you actually have food that's like on deck that's slowly (laughs) coming into your blood and you might then skyrocket to like 200 300 400 whatever because you have 600 grams of carbs that you just ate you know and so the pump back to why the pump is advantageous and simulates the body more is there's other programs instead of just giving all the insulin right away there's things called dual and square wave and you know other functions and you can decide to give insulin over a period of time so instead of 60 units right away i want 60 units over an hour or two hours whatever evenly throughout that time frame or you can do a dual wave, which is based off percentages or the actual units. And let's say I can do 35% of that insulin immediately and then maybe 65% at over the next hour and a half or two hours or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it can simulate. It would be really cool if you could have, like, different spikes. So, like, over two hours, you know, <laughs> you say I want it to spike here and here and here. Um, I'm pointing at different yeah. points in the timeline. <laughs> I know you can't see my fingers. But um, anyways – these functions are able to mimic the body more closely than just a shot can. And you could probably mix different types of insulins, which I, I know we're going to talk about, but it just ends up being closer to the body. Cause as far as I know, I haven't seen data to prove this or say otherwise, but I'm pretty sure 
the body only secretes one type of insulin, you know, and that we primarily use short acting insulin. I could be wrong, but in terms of what I've been able to find at PubMed and other literature and textbooks, I really can't find something that says otherwise. But the point is, is you can control it better that way. Mm. And I think as people in a holistic health profession, the more natural we can get it to and the more original basis of function, the better. Yep. So that's why I really enjoy my pump. Even that it does feel like an anchor sometimes. I feel like I can gain freedom from my diabetes much more with a pump over shots. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I prefer the pump uh, much over the injections. Um, I would say initially when I transferred from injections to the pump, the biggest thing for me was like, I felt like I was, I gained a whole lot more freedom with that pump because when i was doing the injections i couldn't really snack because mm, yep, if i snacked yep. i'd have to do another shot mm-hmm. so it was like am i willing to inject myself again or do i, I want to wait just till the next meal mm-hmm. and that can be good for some people for you know controlling snacking sure but it was nice for me to be able to all i have to do is hit a couple buttons mm-hmm. and i'm good to go right i can eat this snack here mm-hmm. And that was really freeing for me because as a kid, you just, you like snacking, you like eating. As an adult, I like snacking, yeah, eating. What true. are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that really gave me a lot of freedom there. Also, I think now the most important part for me is that it gives me so much control. I'm such a perfectionist, especially when it comes to my diabetes. I, I want to have, have no as idea. much, I want to have as much control as possible. And um, the pump allows that for me. And it's very interesting that you bring up, you know, people feel like it's an anchor for them. Whereas I think my mindset almost always has been that the pump is so freeing for me um, Mm. because I don't have to, like I said, I don't have to worry about taking another shot. I don't have to worry about carrying around my insulin all over the place. Mm. Um, All I have is just that that device that's on me and that's all I need to carry around. Mm. And so for me, it's been very freeing. Um, I don't really have that feeling too much of, oh my gosh, this is just kind of weighing me down. I, I understand why some people feel that way. Um, but I think for me, it's just been a godsend for me. Hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it has too. So I yeah. think there's always uh, negative th- ways of viewing at life and positive ways mm-hmm. of viewing life. And I think um, whatever works best for you and your mindset um, and to live the best life you can, that you know, that's what you should roll with. So mm-hmm. very, very valid point. Yep. So, you know, the pump mostly acts with short-acting insulin. So that kind of means that there's different types of insulin. I was, you know, hinting at it throughout that little spiel that I went under. But, Grady, could you tell us a little bit more about different types of insulin? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about all the different types of insulin. And these, like Garrett kind of mentioned, these different types more cater to the people who are doing injections. They're going to use a wider variety of those types of insulin. So with these types of insulin, they are going to be catered to different people. But at the same time, one unit of insulin, whether that's short-acting insulin or long-acting insulin, should lower the blood sugar the same amount no matter what. The only difference is the duration of time it takes to lower that blood sugar. So there are some exceptions to that. Um, There is one called uh, Levomir, which is actually 25% less potent. And there are some instances where people will either dilute or concentrate their insulin depending on their needs. So typically, almost all the insulin is concentrated at what's called U100, and that's 100 units of insulin per cubic centimeter or cc of fluid. And so that's the standard. There are some instances where you will have a um, person who wants a dilution of a U50, so that's 50 units per cc. Um, And that's somebody who either requires or wants to be more precise with their insulin intake. There are some instances where people will have a higher concentration. So U500 is sometimes used. That's 500 units per cc. Um, I don't really know too many people who use that, but it is out there. And because insulin is injected into fat, the exact onset 
peak and duration of each of these insulins can be different for each person. So these kind of outlines that I'm going to be giving um, are going to depend on your body's physiology and your situation. So just kind of keep that in mind. So we'll start off rapid-acting rapid insulin. It's your Humalog, Novolog are kind of your two primary ones. And those start acting at 5 minutes to 15 minutes. Um, they peak, so meaning the peak effect that those insulins have will be at around three-fourths of an hour to an hour and a half. And then the effect will last about three to five hours in total. So that's essentially when you will no longer be coming down in blood sugar. Next, we have what's called short-acting insulin, which is just your regular insulin. And so that starts acting at around 15 minutes to 30 minutes, peaks at two to three hours, and it lasts about four to six hours. The next step up from that is your intermediate acting insulin. That's NPH or isophane are the two common ones. Um, and they start acting at one hour to two hours. They peak at about four to eight hours, and they last about 12 to 18 hours. The next above that is your basal insulin or your long-acting insulin. Um, and so like we talked about before, the Levomir, um, that one starts acting at about one to three hours. It peaks mildly at around six to 12 hours, and it lasts for a total of 18 to 24 hours. Now, the most common basal or long-acting insulin that people use, which is Lantus. Mm -hmm. That's um, what I used back in the day. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the one I used, too. That one starts at one to three hours. There's essentially no peak. There's some discrepancy on this. Some people say there's a little bit of a peak, um, but for the most part, there's really no peak effect, um, and it lasts for about 20 to 24 hours. So essentially, you only have to take this one once per day. Mm. And then the next one up from that is it's called ultra-long-acting insulin. So these, these ultra-long-acting insulins have kind of come on the scene just in the um, recent uh, couple years. Um, I don't think this was on the market when I was taking injections. But um, these ones, I think the most common one is called uh, Tracebia or Traceba. And it starts acting at around six hours. There's really no peak to this one. And it lasts for actually over 24 hours. So this wow. is, this is um, one of those that helps with people who have trouble taking their long-acting insulin at a consistent time each day. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives them a little bit of a grace period in between. So that way, if they forget to take their insulin, they're still a little bit covered there. Mm -hmm. Then we have the most probably intriguing form of insulin, which is the inhaled form of insulin. What? Yeah. The brand name is uh, Frieza, and this one actually peaks at 12 to 15 minutes. So mm. that's really fast. Wow. And it lasts for about an hour and a half to two hours. So mm. this one is very interesting to me. I've never used it before, but to see how quickly it works makes me very intrigued by it. Absolutely. I think this is maybe something we need to uh, look into a little bit more and actually maybe do a full podcast on it because it's something that's, very, like I said, intriguing and mm -hmm. so unconventional that um, it's just fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And so some additional notes about insulin. We also have some pre-mixed insulin um, that people use. And those, you know, are are about like 70-30 of intermediate acting insulin and rapid acting insulin. And the appeal for these ones are usually that they're cheaper than the others oh okay yeah and that brings up a conversation that we will need to have about mm. the price of insulin mm. and how crazy it is yeah but i know me and garrett can go on a rant for that for yeah. hours and we'll bite our tongue yeah. for now to keep things yes. <laughs> kind of within organization yes and not let emotions get too high mm -hmm. but also the nph that's that intermediate acting insulin um, is an older type of insulin, and it can actually vary considerably depending on where it is injected, uh, meaning how fast it's utilized. Because body parts that get more blood flow will actually cause 
NPH and also regular insulin to react much more rapidly. So mm. it's important with those ones, if you're using those ones, to be very consistent about where you're injecting it because it'll help you maintain good control of that blood sugar. Well, that makes sense. Yep. So along with the idea of blood flow, exercise can have an effect on how fast that insulin is acting. Oh. So when you take insulin and you go and exercise, it'll bring down your blood sugar much quicker than if you were just to take it and sit on the couch. Oh, okay. Because of the heart rate and just the circulation. Yep, and blood okay. flow. Yep. Gotcha. Yep, so if the blood's flowing very quickly, it's spreading that insulin around the body, and so it's utilized much faster. Mm. So that knowledge can be helpful. So if you are really high, you can take insulin, and if you don't want to wait to come back down, which is very common for me because I don't like being high, mm. I will take insulin and then go and exercise, and it'll bring down much quicker. Sure. I always just want to make sure I have something around those because you can drop low. That makes sense. Yep. Also, if you inject it directly into muscle versus the fat tissue, muscle will cause that insulin to be utilized much quicker too because it has more blood flow. So is that the that bro science that I've seen on, on the interwebs where, you know, if you take insulin, you get jacked? Is that what that's about? <laughs> uh, it's not quite the same mechanism. I'm sure we're going to talk about how insulin affects muscle building and all those bro things. So so nobody's ever told you, Grady, that, oh, you're a cheater. You use insulin. You've never got that before. Um, I've never had somebody accuse me of that, but somebody said, I wonder if that has helped you. Oh, I've, people have told that to me frequently. <laughs> they've, they've told me I've been cheating, and I, I got pretty heated. I was like, you yeah. want to deal with high blood sugar like I do? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's let's see. Anyways. Yeah, I imagine I wouldn't have been very happy in that situation. But the point is, though, you're saying if you inject it in muscle, it'll, it'll work faster. Then. Yep, it'll, yep, like I said, it'll in, increase the blood flow, and therefore it spreads around the body faster, and therefore it's utilized much quicker. Hmm. So, I mean, you were talking about the utilization with the blood flow, and a lot of times that depends on where the site is um, of the injected um, and the injected insulin. And that's actually kind of true with constant glucose monitors as well. Those CGMs are really important to understand where you can place them and why you would even use them in the first place. So the CGMs that are, that are common um, are probably the Dexcom brand, the Medtronic Guardian brand, as well as the, the Abbott Freestyle Libri brand. And those are all FDA approved. You know, that's how they get into the market. And those are FDA approved for certain spots. And depending on the tissue and your fat content, change on its ability to read your blood sugar. And I know you and I have had conversations about, you know, maybe our interstitial fluid is different or, you know, that fluid in between cells is different at different places and could give different readings. But where you put your CGMs does end up making a difference, um, especially since those last longer. For example, the Dexcom is last around seven days or rather the sensor, which is the actual Bluetooth connectivity that will translate to its receptor or to its device to tell you the blood sugar will last around seven days. And same thing with the Medtronic Guardian is about seven days and the Abbott Freestyle Libri is around 10 days. Now, me personally, it's always around six days for me. And but I see on Instagram and some other people are like, oh, it lasted like 14 days. And I'm like, I don't know how that's even possible, <laughs> but good for you, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, you need to be careful with these sites compared to your pump sites because they are in there longer. And so that does mean an increased chance of scar tissue. And if you have two things in your body, both a pump and a CGM, you know, it can create rotation necessity much faster and not creating scar tissue um, because that is a consequence of using these devices. They're fantastic for our overall health, you know, but at the local and acute level, scar tissue can develop. Mm -hmm. and you just need to watch how you rotate them throughout your body. Yeah. But the Dexcom, I know I mentioned the the new T-Slim pump and the hybrid closed loop system that that has. And the Dexcom actually communicates with that. And a lot of people like the Dexcom, not only because it lasts seven days, but it also connects with your iPhone. And as well, that means Apple Watches and probably iPads as well. And I use the Dexcom for a while, and it's just really, really cool to be able to look at your smartphone. And I'm like, oh, my blood sugar is like 108. Yeah, you that's nice. It's just like, 
it's it's really impactful knowledge to always be able to check it whether it's on your phone or your watch or whatever but all these devices normally have a separate machine if necessary um, that's how these CGMs got started. It wasn't connected to a pump or your phone, but it was to a separate machine that would always read it and connect it via Bluetooth. And the importance of knowing this data is just hands down so, so valuable. Mm -hmm. And knowing when your blood sugar is and what it's doing can create the ability to identify patterns of what's going on during out the day or what's happening during certain situations that only happen on these days or this time of the day or you know, at these athletic events. Yep. It gives you that information to where it's like, okay, we had this experience mm -hmm. and we got this data from it. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to learn from it. Next time we have that situation, I know what I'm going to do to correct that. Exactly. And just, I mean, when you check your blood sugar, which I guess we haven't even really explained. <laughs> <laughs> so when you normally check your blood sugar with a fingertip, you use a quick needle, stabs your finger, you squeeze blood out from your fingertip into the device, it reads your blood sugar. And that itself is its own blood data. And just like a blood test where you were to go to a phlebotomist and get your blood drawn, that information is just a single point of time. By itself, you have no context of really what that means. And so if I were to check my blood sugar via a finger prick and it was 150, in reality, without context, I have no idea what that means. Am I going high? Am I going low? Am I stable? I don't know. But with a CGM, you have that data. You literally just look right behind it mm -hmm. and you can see slopes and trends. And that is really important to say, okay, I'm 150, but two minutes ago I was 200. So yeah. I'm dropping fast Yeah. or I'm 150, but I've been 150 for, you know, three hours. So yeah. something like I'm either stressed or something's going on and I need a little more insulin yeah. or maybe I forgot to give myself insulin, which happens kind of, at least for me, I used to have a lot more, but it's common to sometimes forget to give yourself insulin because mm -hmm. you're eating, you're talking, you're laughing. Life happens. Life happens. You know, that's just yeah. what happens. So, and I think it's important to highlight that even if you don't have a CGM where it's constantly checking your blood sugar, it's important to still get that data. Yes. So if you don't have a CGM, you need to be checking your blood sugar a lot. Yes. Because there's, there's a lot of times where I don't have my CGM on, but I'm checking my blood sugar constantly. Mm -hmm. And so that helps me still learn from my situations mm -hmm. and also gives me trends. Yes. So that data is very important, whether you're getting it from your CGM or from your glucose right. monitor. And I really didn't understand that value until I had a CGM, but there was a time period where my insurance changed and I actually didn't have a CGM after I had it. But I learned that value of checking your blood sugar before I had the CGM. I was maybe checking it like six if I was lucky, eight times a day. Yeah. Reality, probably like three to four. But once I got this, I was like, oh my goodness, I could really understand this. Like That's how I discovered me consuming whey protein was way more spiked my blood sugar than other types of protein. And I know we're, I'm giving a little tease. We'll talk <laughs> about different types of protein and things like that in nutrition later on. But once I understood the value of checking my blood sugar, I was discontinued. I tell people I got addicted to know the number like I just had to know yeah and I went from you know three to four six to eight times a day to be before I had the CGM to like to upper 20s yeah <laughs> and then I would like plot it on Excel myself and I would make my own graphs every single day and I would try to figure it out you know because I just that data is so important in terms of controlling your blood sugar and your overall health and you know I have a CGM now so I'm not doing it 20 times a day and technically 20 times a day is not recommended yeah but the point is just because you run out of fingertips and, yeah. you know, you don't want to get calluses on your fingertips. But the the point is, like you said, I mean, you get so much data just by checking your blood sugar. And whether you're type 1 or type 2, you yeah. know, you still need to make sure you're checking your blood sugar. Exactly. And so the, the CGM is nice because you don't have to sacrifice your fingertips very often. And you can get that data. And a lot of times you can get this data then on your computer. So with the Medtronic Guardian 670 closed loop system what i've been doing now is every two weeks i've been downloading the pump info on my computer and i'm analyzing it myself you know you might not be able to do that if you're newer don't understand the trends as much but that's what the whole point of meeting with your endocrinologist or endocrinologist and your whole diabetes care team is all about and trying to find those trends but unfortunately when you're type 1 diabetic 
it doesn't diabetes doesn't sleep yep and you gotta try to be your own doctor sometimes yeah, yeah that was one of the things that we didn't really talk about when we were talking about challenges in our last podcast that mm-hmm. to successfully navigate type 1 diabetes you almost need a doctor level knowledge in diabetes or blood sugar control yep. and that can be frustrating but it's very helpful for controlling your diabetes absolutely and that's actually what inspired me to go on my health journey was I was had to learn so much anyways um, might as well you know actually get a profession with health mm-hmm. I'm sure it was somewhat similar for you as well but that being said you don't need to be in the health profession but you do need to care at that level yeah and whether you have the CGM or you don't it's interesting navigating the identity of a number um, and just always thinking about a number and as a type one um, it's a dichotomy of trying to understand your own independence and the power of observation of your numbers and not wanting to think about your numbers and talk about your numbers all the time but knowing how important Mm -hmm. it is and that's definitely a dichotomy and a balance that all type ones gotta you know kind of understand when it comes to managing their diabetes and you know, there's other things that type ones can do, which we'll talk about more, you know, through other podcasts with exercise. You already mentioned exercise, but types yeah. of exercise, like you mentioned, you don't want to give yourself um, insulin or you need to be careful if you give yourself insulin and then work out. Well, you know, I've run marathons and I've had to give insulin in the middle of a marathon and being able to navigate that was a skill that I eventually developed. But you learning how to use exercise and use certain foods to also combat, use sleep even, Mm -hmm. and other things are so important in the management of type 1, which we'll get into um, more in future episodes. But I think we would be fools not to mention it, at least right here, that those things are very important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so kind of along those lines, with the management of type 1 diabetes, diet and exercise is very important. It kind of bothers me. <laughs> There's this idea out there that it doesn't matter what you eat. As long as you take the right amount of insulin, mm-hmm. you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that is true. Yep. I can't deny that. But at the same time, to think that diet and exercise won't help you manage blood sugar, I think is silly. Absolutely. And when you have a healthy body, it's much easier to control your blood sugar when your body's functioning very well. Yep. And we, I think we can both agree and see how we've changed over time and seeing how when we started with our diabetes in our earlier years, I think we both had very unhealthy habits and it was very hard to control. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that we've got into such a health kick that we've honed in our diets, we've honed yep. in our exercise and are paying attention to our blood sugar, it's very easy relatively to control our blood sugar and get a very good um, a1c get very good graphs on our our cgms Mm -hmm. because of our diet and exercise so Mm -hmm. i think it's important to talk about that and it's important to tell diabetics who are newly diabetic that it is important we need to focus on that because it can take a lot of burden off of you Mm -hmm. i remember when I was transitioning into a healthier diet, I had just quit playing football because it, when I played football, I was on I played on the line. Mm-hmm. And so that required a lot of eating because you're trying to gain weight yep. and maintain weight. And I wasn't eating very good I'm because sure you you're were just having, trying to gain weight. sure you're having two extra large Papa oh, John's yeah. pizzas a day. <laughs> that sounded very familiar. <laughs> and then transitioning into eating like a normal person and then eating healthier and healthier and healthier i was so surprised at how much easier it was mm-hmm. to control my blood sugar yep I, I i was also thinking about this today how proud i am of that younger self mm. how i was somehow able to maintain my blood sugar fairly well yeah i think i've only had an a1c that was over seven like maybe one or two times wow even while i was eating like crap Um, I was somehow able to manage that. But having said that, now I'm able to control it even better, and it's it's a breeze Mm -hmm. compared to what it was. Sure. And another thing that really affects how diabetes is managed is sleep. Mm. We talked about that a little bit in our last podcast, that sleep 
is a hard thing to manage as a type one diabetic, mm -hmm. but sleep is very important because it affects our circadian rhythm, our cortisol rhythm, which we'll definitely get into later, but that affects stress and how our body heals mm -hmm. and also our blood sugar. And so those are very important as well. And it just kind of encompasses that healthy living lifestyle. If you live a healthy life, blood sugar control becomes easier. Absolutely. And when I think about that, the first thing that pops in my head in terms of healthier life and, you know, leads to healthier blood sugar was for my low blood sugars. I used to, especially even when I started chiropractic school, like three or so years ago, whatever, I would have like 20 Oreos and like <laughs> half a gallon of milk. I would just use that excuse. I was like, bring it on. This yeah. tastes good. My blood sugar is low. It's got sugar. That's what I need. Yeah. And, um, you know, learning how to control and eat properly in those situations prevents the giant spikes because because oh, yeah. if you're start then you can easily yo-yo a type oh, one yeah. can yo-yo the it's rebound like, is crazy you get low you have 50 you you're rather you're 50 your blood sugar and then you overeat you go super high then you take insulin and then crash back you down. crash back down and you just do it over and over again and then even as a type one diabetic if you're trying to lose weight you know that those, those are excess calories mm -hmm. it's not like those calories don't exist and and not saying calories are all that's important, <laughs> but it's still a factor, yeah. you know? So even thinking about that, like, how can I eat properly? And, and this is, now this is just tangent. Now we're just going off the, <laughs> off the script. But uh, thinking about low blood sugars, for me, the biggest thing in terms of managing a low blood sugar, and, and again, I know we already had our medical disclaimer, but, and we're just talking from my own, I'm talking from my own experience, and I don't recommend this for people, but with a low blood sugar, I had them, I changed my mindset to not be afraid. And cause when you have low blood sugar, you go into a sympathetic state, your blood sugar gets low, your adrenals kick on and you start kicking out cortisol, which is going to help raise your blood sugar. Your adrenals then kick out epinephrine, which is adrenaline. And that's also going to help raise your blood sugar when it acts on the liver. And you're going to kick out glucose that way. And as well as plenty of other fun biochemical pathways that I could draw <laughs> out on a whiteboard. But in that sympathetic state, your mind then changes. And the only thing you can think about is, I need food. I need sugar. Right. <laughs> and you just go on a rampage. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's also why, you know, managing low blood sugars at night and sleep and things like that. If you wake up with low blood sugar, not only do you have that sympathetic state, but you're groggy. Yeah, you have a, you're just like in a fog. And you're just, and you don't know what you eat. Yeah. Um, you're just like anything and everything that I can mm -hmm. get in my mouth is going in. I think in undergrad, I would wake up with Pop-Tarts just all over my bed <laughs> and crumbs. I know I was like, I don't even remember opening this. Yeah. Like, how did this happen? But, um, you know, I told myself when I had these low blood sugars that I'm going to be okay. This is just a stimulus. My brain is just telling me that I, there is a situation that needs to be taken care of. And I breathe. And then I say, okay, I'm going to have, you know, 10 grapes, 15 yeah. grapes tops. And then, especially with the grapes, you can easily overdo oh, grapes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know... I started taking that mindset to other foods as well when I'm in that sympathetic low blood sugar state. Mm -hmm. And then that's able to control how much my blood sugar then goes up. Yep. So I don't have to have so much of a rebound effect knowing that I'm going to be okay. Now, yeah. low blood sugars, you should be cautious of because yeah. that's, you know, but that's, that's where bad. that data comes in that we talked about. Oh yeah. You can see if you've been tracking that data, how much your blood sugar is going to be affected by mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're eating. Yep. And therefore, you can say, okay, I only really need to eat this much, and my blood sugar will raise and be fine. Mm -hmm. So for me, the thing that I use is juice boxes. Yes. Because it's quick, easy, easy to carry around, and mm -hmm. it controls my dosage of that yes, sugar. absolutely. So I drink that juice box, and I know that juice box is going to bring me up significantly. Mm -hmm. So that's all I need. Right. So I drink that juice box, and I'm done. It's always funny looking at a doctor and, and he's just <laughs> sipping in a quarter, sipping a yeah. juice box. Oh man, <laughs> drinking juice boxes. But um, but yeah, that that control is is very important. So how you then respond in those situations is just as important to controlling your type one diabetes than not. And the standard, you know, that they can tell you in a hospital, you know, oh, you know, when you're between seventy five and sixty, have fifteen grams, and then wait fifteen minutes, and but. You know, people can tell you those things. 
And that is the proper way to deal with those. That's why portion control is really mm-hmm. uh, advantageous. But the reality is we're all human. And, yep. and I think it's just really important to realize, like, I'm going to be okay. Yep. And it, I will, like, I will come back. My blood sugar will go up. I don't need to overeat. And then I think that's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Once I learned that, I was I stopped yo-yoing as yeah. much. But anyways, so type 1 diabetes management. Yep. You know, we've talked about food nutrition a little bit, which we will talk about even more in separate podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. We've talked about pumps and CGMs and um, different types of insulin. And it's been it's been a fun time because obviously this is what you and I deal with on a daily basis. Definitely. And um, next episode, we're going to be talking about what is type 2 diabetes. But first, before we get to that, oh. I want to ask you, Garrett, oh. what was one challenge that mm. you experienced this week that you learned from? I was going to have myself. I forgot the forgot the last bit. <laughs> <laughs> so a challenge that I had and then ended up overcoming uh, with my diabetes this week. So it was, I think it was midday. Yeah. So it was, I, I was having a stressful day and um, because of stress and I looked at my CGM, my blood sugar was like maybe around 180. I was changing my basal rates, trying to control it. And near the end of the day, around like five or six o'clock, I was like, all right, I didn't work out this morning. I'm going to go and squat. And as I know, I'm about to go work out. So then I go and grab some Chick-fil-A <laughs> and I grab some grilled chicken nuggets. I bought like 12 or oh, 16 yes. something grilled chicken nuggets. <laughs> and um, knowing that I'm going to, you know, use these calories and use this protein as part of my fuel and recovery for the squat workout I was going to do. So I go to Chick-fil-A and I have um, buy some food. And then, but as I'm driving there and I'm sitting in the drive-thru, my pump starts buzzing at me saying insulin flow is blocked. And I'm sitting in the car. I'm wear, I wear tight pants and when it comes to dress pants. They're a little bit tighter. Um, so I'm sitting in, sitting in the car with tight pants with my pump and going down to my leg, my sights at my, on my quad at this point. And I have, it's cold out. I have a big coat on, seatbelt, tight. I literally thought when I saw this, message of insulin flow is blocked that was positional which for me sometimes can happen Mm -hmm. and so um, I was like okay well it's just because I'm sitting and you know it'll easily be fixed once I get to the gym I'll just stand up I'll reset everything it'll be good and between the the drive-through of Chick-fil-a and getting to the gym you know which was farther away from where the clinic was that I was at you know I was probably stuck in traffic around rush hour so it was like 45 minutes of travel time so during this time, I'm not getting insulin in reality, but I think it's an easy fix. I get to the gym and I try to reset, you know, I'm in the locker room, whatever. And it's still a saying, insulin flow is blocked. Oh, gosh. I'm like, oh, dang it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm already stressed. I was in the car, stressful day. <laughs> I'm looking forward to squatting. I already ate and spent money on this food that I want to use for post-squat workout. For gains. For gains. <laughs> and... And so then I made the decision, knowing even how my blood sugar is affected during a squat workout, that I was going to stay in the gym and I was going to work out. And then, you know, after 45 minutes or whatever, I'll go home and uh, I'll change my site and be okay. And so throughout the workout, it was like 220 and then to 290 or something like that. And it was kind of creeping up, but then it kind of looked like it was plateauing. So I was like, okay, maybe. And then maybe it is working. I don't know, but I'm finishing the workout. Well, to make this story, which I guess it could drag on even more uh, longer or to make it shorter, not longer, (laughs) uh, I eventually go home and my blood sugar was like 541. Oh, my gosh. After this workout. (laughs) And I got some PRs, too, that I haven't hit in a while. So so I was kind of happy even with high blood sugar. So I was thinking, man, if I did that with high blood sugar, what could I do with (laughs) what could I do with good blood sugar? Right. Anyway, so I was 541 and literally my brain felt on fire. Like, like my brain was on fire under my skull. Wow. It was just, I I couldn't think it was slow. I was just like this. I haven't been this high and I don't know how long. And it was just amazing to me. And so obviously when I got home, I quickly changed my site, gave myself a lot of insulin. So how I overcame this was a, you know, I gave a lot of insulin. I was hydrating like crazy. I was drinking a lot of water. Ended up taking a supplement called berberine, which I'm sure we can talk about its mechanism more, but essentially it acts similar to metformin and that it activates what's called the AMPK pathway. And so it just kind of helps you utilize insulin 
more. I'll kind of just shorten its mechanism that way. So I was taking, took some berberine water. I was making sure I was having electrolytes, not like Gatorade, but like electrolyte powder mm-hmm. with no sugar. And just, a, you know, that's what I did. I think I ended up having like 13 units or something like Holy that. Holy cow. <laughs> um, but normally when my blood sugar is that high, takes a long time to go down yeah and i didn't like drop i didn't like spike down but i got in two hours i went from like 541 to like 131 or something wow. like that like it was it was really quick response time yeah. so i overcame it at that moment you know by those ways of knowing how to handle it and knowing that was purely just a lack of insulin sight issue and once i changed my sight it was fine in terms of how i'm overcoming that in general is that you know, that that's one of those moments as being a type one diabetic, you know, you make the decision and life just happens. Stressful day. And this yeah. is, these are situations that a diabetic could happen multiple times a week mm-hmm. or a month. And it's nothing to shame a type one diabetic in this, in the scenario like that. You just make a decision because you wanted to work out. Yeah. And my blood sugar is fine. I have relatively good control, I would say, of my blood sugar overall. And so knowing that, um, how I'm overcoming it is when that situation were to come, I'll try to use a little more willpower, go home, change my site, and then go back. And even if it takes more time, you know, that's what I'll probably do. Yeah. And just kind of use that mentality. But I also overcame it by getting PRs and squats. But, <laughs> but anyway, so that was kind of this past week, a challenge that I had in a way that I overcame it. So I was that was the interesting part of the week. So what about you? Brady, what, what was the challenge you've had? Well, mine's not that exciting. Not ex- as exciting as yours. But I haven't really been using my continuous glucose monitor that much lately. Um, and I think the podcast has inspired me to use it again so I can get more data. Um, I get some data, you know, because we've talked about I talk, I check my blood sugar quite a bit. But I want more data so I can be better, so I can be better for our listeners. Ah, okay. So I was trying to connect it because I injected it into the site and then was trying to connect it, you know, via Bluetooth with my pump and it wasn't connecting. And so I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, I kind of did it a little bit out of order than I usually do. So I'm like, well, maybe that's the reason. So I disconnect the transmitter from the sensor and then reconnect it, and you know how the green lights start popping up again. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so I think it should connect now. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. It's not popping up like it's connecting. Mm. So I'm like, well, maybe it's just taking a while. So I sat back down. I'm, I'm like, I'll just wait for a while and then check it again. So I was doing some work on the computer, and then it was probably like 30 minutes, maybe I don't know, time was distorted, so it was 30 minutes to an hour. It was a long while. And I looked back, and it wasn't connected. I'm like, what the heck? Mm. So I, I'm like, well, maybe it's just a bad sensor. So I just took the whole thing out. Because it was a while since you used it, yeah? Yeah, it had been a while. So I took the whole thing out. I put the transmitter back on the charger, and then just let it set for another hour. Mm. Then I'm like, all right, we'll try it again. So I did it in the the right sequence that I usually <laughs> do, and it's still not connecting. Mm. And I'm like, what the heck? So I'm like, all right, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll wait a little bit longer. So I waited a little bit longer, waited about 10 minutes this time. Still wasn't connected. So then I'm like, well, maybe it's something with the Bluetooth with the pump. So then I check the connectivity of the checker that's connected to my pump. And so I check my blood on there and then have it sent to the pump, and it's not sending to the pump. Hmm. I'm like, well, maybe it's the pump that's off. So then I ended up texting my rep and saying, you know, something's off with the Bluetooth. So hmm. I'm going through the settings. I'm like, can I reset this somehow? And I couldn't really find anything. Got your rep on speed dial? Pretty much. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't find anything going through the settings. So I, I'm just waiting to hear back from the rep. So I'm doing some work on my computer again. And then I check, I check again like 10 minutes later, and it's it's uh, connected and doing the startup time. Oh, okay. And I'm like, that's weird. Okay. And it's been fine ever since. So mm. um, I guess my lesson that I learned is just be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And not go so long between connecting my pump and sensor. Yeah, that would probably help. Yeah. But 
anyways, so th- these are just some common, you know, things that we deal with on an everyday basis and uh, managing type 1 diabetes. But next episode, we're going to be talking about what is type 2 diabetes and some mechanisms about it and that those types of things because it is different mm-hmm. but similar to type 1 diabetes. So since majority of diabetics, about 90 95% diabetics are type 2, that will be a good one. Definitely. So thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on The Die Buddies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.